Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, the podcast of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society. I'm Jay Boisseau, the Executive Director and Founder of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, and we are kicking off AI April. Uh, every year, the Austin Forum focuses all of its events, podcasts, and posts on the topic of AI. And we've been doing this for a while, although this year seems particularly timely because of the rise of chat GPT and LLMs and generative AI. Um, so I have a great guest for you today. I'm very pleased to introduce Saurabh Jha of Dell Technologies. Saurabh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jay, for having me into your Austin Technology Forum. All right. Before we dive into chat GPT and LLMs and more general uses of AI, why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself uh, in the context of AI? Yeah, sure. Uh, so in the context of AI, I have around 15 years of experience and I've been in this space for, I mean, my whole experience spans around data. The whole 16 years, I started as a data engineer, moved as moved into information modeling, then did analytics. And last seven years, I've been specifically focused in machine learning and deep learning. And, and in machine learning and deep learning, my journey started with recommendation systems, developing computer vision application for, uh, for cancer research, semantic segmentation. And from there, I moved into the space of multimodal image, image and text and making decisions at the intersection of human and machine where, where we develop intelligence to automate some of the human actions, which through intelligence as a services, and drive operational efficiency and improve customer experience. So that's been, um, has been my experience in the space of AI. That's great. And I, I think that's, that's amazing. And I think it will convince our listeners that we have the right speaker here to talk about some of the big picture things in AI. So Sarb, of course, everybody's interested in AI now. You've been doing it for 15 years, as you've said, but you know, in late November, ChatGPT was released onto the world and people have become fascinated with chat GPT, with things like stable diffusion and mid-journey, and basically with generative AI for text or images or sound overall. So maybe we talk about that just a little bit in this recent surge of interest in AI before we get into some of the broader uh, advances in AI and how they're how they're shaping our companies and organizations and society. So chat GPT, are you a fan? Uh... I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I mean, I, I like, I like the way they have brought in the conversational system into mainstream. Yes, it is not perfect, and it has issues of sentience. It has issues of hallucination. But yes, I mean, as a product, from an idea perspective, I think the idea was already there with the, with the introduction of transformers, with the introduction of human loop in the feedback, and then Chat GPT came only after a series of development in language models that has happened, not just by OpenAI, but a lot of contribution has been from Meta, from Google, from DeepMind. So yes, it's been great, but what ChatGPT brought to us was it, it completely changed the game of human computer interaction through natural language uh, interface and generation. And, and, and the, way, the way they have aligned the models with the human feedback that has improved the data generating capability of a tool. And, and that I believe is a game changer. The whole experience of the human computer interface is revolutionized with the introduction of ChatGPT. Yeah, I, I agree. I um, I, I love AI of course, and, and, and do some work in it myself, but 
I, I can't say I'm overwhelmed by chat GPT's quality um, because, you know, every time I try to make it create something new and fun, it's, it's great. But when I try to make it create something long and fact-based, I always yeah. find the yeah. errors in it. It's about 80 or 90% right. And then I have to, to fix a few things yes. if I'm going to use it, which um, I, I've ended up never using anything that I've created of ChatGPT, except an interview of ChatGPT of itself, which we published in the Austin Forum blog. But I am completely impressed, on the other hand, by natural language processing and how far we've come and how advanced the large language models or LLMs have become in being able to carry on dialogue with yes. people. I have for, for years, I've said the, the one way we're going to get everybody to use computing is when nobody has to learn how to use computing and they can just speak because we all know how to talk, but some people are freaked out by mouses, you know, keyboards and mice and, and menus and things like that. But the NLP capabilities are just fascinating now. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's mind blowing. I mean, I would say they have, doing, I mean, they have cracked the process around data generation. See, this is a very interesting thing that I was reading about text and, and I think that's the game changer. If you see how we viewed large language, I mean, language models, I mean, when I think the first paper I read about language model was way back by Andrew Ng in, in early 2000, when, when they talk about how the next word prediction can be done based on the learning of the context of the past few words. And there was a probabilistic model to that. But, but the way the language model has evolved over a period of time, I think there's a very interesting thought process that they have shown us, is that they have shown us that language model is not just a statistical output of a statistical regularity, but right. it is also about the projection of the world in the space of text. I'll, I'll try to explain this further. I mean, we do talk about, I mean, I've, I've read some papers where, where people talk about that, okay, you need multimodality to maybe reason about the world. And that is one of the gaps that that today we talk about in language models but but the way these large language models have done is that with the amount of computing and data they are seeing the world from the lenses of text and when they see from the lenses of text i think they validate the assumption that as long as it's not just about learning the context but it is also about learning the process in which the text has been created so the process in which we humans interact, the process and the environment in which we live, I think with the new models, they have done a fantastic job in learning that process, the concept, the ideas, the ideas that generate the text. And I think that is fascinating to me. And that has enabled these models to learn about the world in a very unsupervised manner, they learn they learn the representation of the world from high dimensional vectors. And, and, and that's really the game changing aspect that I see with these large language models. So we, we agree that you know, these large language models are fascinating and they're giving us some incredible capabilities via chat GPT and many other tools. We should make it clear that there's yeah, many large just, language models and it's not just chat GPT. Um, and there's also a set of generative AI tools for images and things that are fascinating. Yes. But um, actually, maybe we should stop and talk about that a little bit. Have you been tracking the the developments in generative AI for images like Stable Diffusion and Mid Journey and other packages like that? Yeah, I mean, I was very interested when Clip came. 
and i think i think trip was a very interesting moment uh, for for generative uh, modeling using contrastive learning and then after clip dale2 came right and after dale2 is when if my memory is correct stable diffusion i mean stability.ai came with stable diffusion paper now with the stable diffusion the biggest impact that i see that it will have in the medical space i mean again we talk about creating art and text i mean it can create music it can it can do a number of stuff but i feel especially in the space of medical imaging it is going to have tremendous impact because with so little data in that space i have in the past i was working with with some of the lung heart data and and I, we found that it was very hard to to have those data sets labeled now it is going to create so much of synthetic data in that space through stable diffusion that it is going to have enormous i think the the whole process of intelligence in in medical imaging is going to accelerate with this however it it will always it will also end up creating a lot of human generated uh, art through machine now again that is again a dif different question it it again creates a different set of questions in front of us like how do we see the future of art or or is it really ethical so it 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 introduces a lot of interesting questions about how machines can be used in art generation but yeah i mean i've been completely blown away with uh, with stable diffusion uh, i mean success and the most interesting part that i see is that through prompts if we can bring the ideas of image generation and text generation together then it will it is going to have tremendous impact in robotics i'm not sure if companies are are actually working and thinking in that direction but i see the impact of digital humans that we can have in the education sector if you see there are i mean more than billion students around the world and we do we do not have teachers teaching them so so this can be a technology through which we can combine both stable diffusion and and language generation generative models and and we can we can build human design courses through uh, yeah. uh, teaching courses where where students in the very remote area can be given a human like persona experience and and i think i think i think that is something i'm i'm more excited about the application yes art is interesting but the app, if i have to summarize the application in medical imaging and the application and impact it can have with digital humans especially in the education sector while digital humans can be implemented in many places it can it can be implemented it can be be there in the kiosk in a in in a mobile shop or or a kiosk in a healthcare but the bigger impact that i see is is in the education sector in training sector where where we can train reskill humans at a very fast rate and today specialist trainers it's very hard to find sarab that is a great point there's a lot of concern these days especially the last well roughly 4 months since chat gpt came out about will ai you know destroy lots of jobs and what do people do and you just gave a good counter to that and and certainly chat gpt and the like will kill some number of jobs but will create many new jobs and you just pointed out create new education opportunities so that more people are upskilled into new jobs and the new era the new evolution of jobs that comes from all this so that's a great point i also really appreciate you making that point of you know large language models are great uh, uh image generation models are great but you can combine these things to make even more powerful things yeah. like a digital human that could be an instructor for a class that can interact with the yeah. class because of the large language model 
but can look like a human and thus people's own uh, brain circuitry for recognizing humans and relating to humans kicks in and they feel like they're being taught more like a human uh, by a human, even though it's AI generated. And that's that's a great point. I hadn't really thought about that. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> um, let's, I promise at the beginning of the podcast, we talk a bit more generally, chat GPT and uh, LLMs and generative AI is all the hype right now. But you and I both know that, you know, the, the ideas of artificially intelligent machines have been around as long as the actually longer than such machines have been around. There have been uh, theoretical posings and musings about creating machines that could think like people. Then we had early computers and the term AI was con was first used less than a decade after the first computers were, uh, digital computers were invented. So it's a term that's been around since the 1950s, but it's really been in the last decade or so that AI has started that so-called hockey stick uptick in popularity, adoption, and usage. Why don't you share with our listeners what caused that uptick, you know, data computing algorithms, et cetera? Yeah, so I, I see the way I see, uh, uh, I mean, especially the impact of deep learning in this space, in the success of AI since 2012 with ImageNet and AlexNet broke out, right? But I, I, I feel the biggest, the biggest usage of cluster of computing is deep learning. If you see in the past, how we were using cluster of computers. I mean, we used distributed computing to store data or we used distributed computing to do physics simulation, but we never really used it for any kind of task which can, which can develop intelligence. And the way I see with deep neural net, especially the bigger neural net, I mean, especially the bigger, I would say neural networks, see the, the use the, the way they have used computers to scale the number of layers and, and ability to develop an algorithm which can predict which can predict the representation of the data i think that is is making all the difference right i mean that is where and see the way i see prediction is like like a comparison problem and and as long as as long as you can represent in case of pixel, you try and represent the, use the pixels to represent the next set of pixels. I mean, predict the next set of pixels. And similarly in language models, you represent the language as token of text and token of text as, as vector represent, high dimensional vector representation. And then you predict the next set of text. I think this is all possible because of our abilities to train deep neural network in large cluster of computers. So I think the, the impact of computing have had significant progress in, in the ideas of AI with, the, with our abilities to train deep neural network. I think that was missing in late 90s and early 2000. We were not just, I think the algorithms still exist. CNN still exists in late 90s. Jan Lucan had used it in handwriting uh, digit classification and stuff like that. But it was never used in the manner in which it started being used in 2012 so so the yeah. so the use of computing the use of gpus in or in ability to train the end to end network i think it opened doors about all set of new ways of thinking about how to use computing to do 
to make discoveries i think i think i'm i think that has a tremendous impact and the other thing was post the internet era the rate at which data got generated yeah. so i think i think both both got i mean both got married together at the very right time to make all this happen and after 2012 it's been a non stopping progress in in last 12 years and and we have seen progress in every field i mean whether it is la- i mean whether it is language whether it is speech whether it is vision and and now it is getting into every industry that is a great detailed overview of that i'm going to try to break some of that down for our listeners that may be less familiar with some of the terms you used and you can then correct me if i if i mischaracterize what you're saying but we've always used mathematics to explain data from the time when, you know, we all in school did Y equals MX plus B to find the slope of a line. But as we've developed newer statistical and then machine learning, and then these new deep learning techniques based on mathematical formulations called deep neural nets, we've been able to analyze very complex data, including unstructured data like text and images and sound in more meaningful ways, in ways that allow this deep neural network-based software to find patterns and make predictions and classifications that we that we never could have done before. And I'm really glad you brought up the deep neural, uh, the deep learning and the use of deep neural networks, because that underpins almost all of the big advances in AI now. What our listeners may not know is AI is a very general term, and there's other branches of AI. Um, some of our listeners may remember control system uh, 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 from the from the 80s, where were basically big nested if-then-else statements and whatnot. But now we're using these machine learning and deep learning techniques, these deep learning techniques based on neural nets as the mathematical formulation to ingest the data and find the patterns. And that really underlies most of the advances in very different, seemingly very different kinds of AI, right? Like from autonomous vehicles to chat GPT to uh, image classifiers to whatever. It's it, it's almost all based on these deep neural nets now, right? Yes, yes. Everywhere, everywhere. Uh, I mean, I think deep neural net is everywhere. I mean, we start our day and from Google search to using an Uber to uh, to doing your shopping, your, all your day-to-day decisions are made by this functional approximated algorithms. Yeah. We're going to teach an AI workshop as part of the Austin Forum programming. It won't be here in AI April, probably in the summer, but uh, we'll really delve into these things. So if any of our listeners are in Austin or if we teach it online, they'll be able to do it from anywhere. But we really want our, our, our audience to understand a little bit more about deep learning and be able to use some preformed tools. No one's going to be asked to develop a neural network, but but given a, a code, an application based on neural nets, train it to do something. And so um, we're really looking forward to delivering that class. Let's let's talk though now about um, enterprise and companies and organizations. They're all excited about Chat GPT. Some are concerned about it. Some are experimenting with it. Some are already to the point of dismissing its utility for their particular needs. But again, that's just a, a, a subset of all the things AI can do. Where are you in your role at Dell Technologies seeing customers of very different types have success with AI? Uh, so the success of AI that I have in the past have seen in different kinds of problem. 
like i would say one of the problem is in the space of ocr i mean these days in business application we have a big team doing data entry and and this nobody no human enjoys entering data throughout the day so so this is one problem where i see ai is able to accelerate digitization and the, i mean we have solved some problems in this space where where we have used the ideas of image and text embeddings combined it and and try to solve it end to end to a deep neural network so this is one one space the other space is customer service customer service has many kinds of problems from a question answering system to a conversation system right so that is another space where where it is going to help uh, our customers a lot in finding answers uh, quickly these are the two spaces that i i have usually used the other spaces in the business world is your ability to forecast right and and i have seen many problems in this space of time series forecasting which uses these days uses intelligence developed out of deep learning or graph neural networks it is used these days a lot to find similarities between the data find uh, find the similarities between the the patterns and then use that to actually extrapolate and 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 use it to to do time series forecasting anomaly detection fraud detection so these are the common kinds of problem in my tenure that that i have used in 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 my customer applications but if i see in general as a customer then i see every industry that we operate today they need intelligence and the and the way the intelligence can be developed you have to use some level of ai into your digital systems and with with the vast amount of data getting getting generated with so many reports and so many analytics at the fingertips in front of us at the click of mouse how do we use those analytics now all these analytics can be used into ai systems where a lot of decision making and and intelligence can be made available where where customers can be more ahead of curve and they can make a very faster and quick decisions and very well informed decisions those are great examples and you know it's thinking in my mind i wonder which ones he's going to list here because of course i have a list in my own head of where we're seeing enterprise customers do this and you you hit essentially all of them we're seeing it in chatbots for customer service leveraging nlp technologies we're seeing it in uh image classification like in medical fields being able to identify a proto tumor long before it becomes a tumor by having enough scans of healthy people and of people that that eventually form tumors and being able to do amazing things in medical image analysis and other forms of image analysis yeah. we're seeing it in uh video analytics yeah, and the ability to do things that that leads to hopefully one day autonomous vehicles you mentioned the anomaly and fraud detection and I I love that one because we've all probably experienced a time when our credit card company has called us and said, is this really you? And you're like, well, of course it's me. Who would it be? But they're running algorithms in the background looking for peculiar purchasing patterns. And what I've noticed in those is I get far fewer of those calls. In fact, I don't remember the last time I had one as the AI techniques have gotten better and better at understanding uh, consumer behavior and the variances that may occur in it. The, uh, and the one I'll add to your list is recommendation engines. Yeah, I've, I've been amazed at how much better recommendation engines have gotten, uh, for example, in Amazon. And it's actually not good for me because I already buy too much stuff from Amazon anyway. But my God, the recommendations have gotten really good <laughs> and compelling. 
and you have enough data, you can find these subtle uh, patterns between people who don't even think they buy the same things or see purchasing the same way. But it's these recommendation engines are really powerful too, aren't they? Yes. Search ranking and recommendation has completely changed the game. I mean, the way we shop around, the way the way we make our day-to-day decisions. And, and AI is playing a central role in that. I fully agree with you. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting how much we use AI in our daily life and don't even realize it. Like when we talk to Siri on our Apple devices or Hey Google on our Google devices, or we talk to our Amazon Alexa Echo devices, we're we're using AI. Um, we're us- it's using NLP. Or um, if you use your autonomous driving mode in your Tesla, of which I have one, and I encourage you to keep your hands on the wheel based mm-hmm. on the current state using AI in that um, when you get the Netflix or Amazon recommendation. So we're, people are benefiting from all day, but these are really powerful in the back end for the companies that are providing this. And if they can even change consumer behavior by 1%, if they're a billion dollar company, turns out 1% is a lot of revenue. So they're, yes. they're seeing some good success there. And of course, um, you know, in a, in a future installment, we'll probably talk about some of the national security and defense implications mm-hmm. of. Yes. Of I'm going to close today's podcast though with two fun things. One, I'm going to ask you, uh, what do you think is the? What are you kind of expecting as the next fun AI tool that may emerge that really captivates people? And the other is what is the maybe less consumer oriented, but what are you really looking forward to in the ongoing evolution of AI that we can't do yet, but that you're excited about us being able to do in five or 10 or 50 years? So let's start with the the sort of daily life consumer level. What, what are you excited about? Do you see anything coming that's going to you know, be like chat GPT or mid journey or even any exciting evolution in those? Uh, I think, I think digital human is, is going to have a lot of role in our daily lives. I mean, Today we interact with automated systems, or even we 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 talk about chatbots, or even the best example is ChatGPT, right? We get answers to the questions, but there is no emotion persona into involved into that. I, I think the next level of user experience will be where we will where we will get the experience of a human from the the way you will the way we will interact with computers. I think that's going to change a lot of game, and in fact, it will have a lot of impact in. I mean, I was just reading a report long back that that I think after some point in time in Japan, there will be a lot of old people, right? And they will not have a lot of people around to take care because they don't have kids, right? And and I think a, a technology like digital human can 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 help us can help a lot of people in their loneliness. I I, I don't yes, know if people agreed. are trying to solve this problem, mm-hmm. but I don't think people talk about it. But I see this is very common. In, 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 in many places, we have everything, but we might be lonely, we might feel alone. And, and, and I think digital humans, once they develop the emotional aspect of it, which I think will happen at some point in time, it is going to be a huge human machine partnership that will drive our progress. So I am very hopeful and I want that to be developed and it will also help us with a lot of things. I mean, we get, we have to do everything on our own. And especially in, in, in Western countries, we, you don't have domestic help. So I see that as a tool which can augment our lives and, and just make it make it better. So I'm very excited and just waiting for that moment to come. And I think ChatGPT is just the start of it. 
I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. There's plenty of studies now that are uh, finding the correlations between loneliness and health issues and longevity and such, and the ability to create uh, uh, e emotion feeling uh, or e even simulating synthetic humans uh, may be a cure or at least a partial cure for some of this, some of the loneliness that some people experience. Um, I'm really glad you brought that up. And of course, one of our AI April events this month is a showing of the 10-year-old movie, Her, with Joaquin Phoenix, which suddenly in the era of chat GPT and with what you just said about emotion and sentiment, suddenly seems a lot closer than maybe it did. And I'm very pleased that you're going to be one of our uh, panelists to answer questions after we showed that movie. So if this podcast comes out before that, I hope listeners will sign up for that. And we're going to try to stream that Q&A so that people who aren't there for the movie can also see the panel Q&A where you and your colleagues are going to analyze where we are in natural language processing, uh, where we aren't yet in artificial general intelligence, but where we might get to with adding emotion and sentiment analysis into AI. So thank you for all that. I'm going to say that uh, the thing that I'm most excited about for the future Autonomous cars are an obvious one. I really would love for my car to safely be able to get me from any point to any other point under any conditions because that's wasted time if I'm driving and I could be productive or entertained if I'm not. But I think my long-term one is probably uh, intelligent robots. And it, it sort of ties to your uh, your digital human one in a way. But the ability to have robots that eventually have the de dexterity and decision-making, at least in certain areas of manufacturing, of hazardous materials, removals, of dealing with unsafe situations and such, so that humans aren't put at risk. And we've got highly durable, highly capable robots that at least for certain sets of tasks can, can reason through it every bit as well as a human that have enough robotic uh, advancements and flexibility and touch and sensitivity. I'm really excited about the merger of AI and robotics. We're a long way from there on the robotic side, not just the AI side, but that is, that's a tremendous potential one. Sarb, you got any other final comments you want to make for this podcast about your thoughts on AI and where we are now or where we're going? Yeah, I think, I think we are interested. We are, we are getting into a very interesting space with to an, I mean, I know we have solved the unsupervised learning problem completely. We are entering into a space where natural language generation looks to be a very close to solved problem now. What I'm excited about is, is how far have we gone in, the, in our ability for machines to reason the way human does. I think reasoning is an aspect or fact checking, we call it. I think that's an aspect where I'm very interested upon to see like, can we can we understand what is facts and what is not in the natural language? I think that's an area I'm very excited about. I'll just give you an example. A couple of days back, I trained a llama model and I was trying to throw some questions of probability, some questions of, of six standard mathematics, and it was able to solve. But the moment I gave a conditional probability question with with like, okay, there are three balls, five red, five green, and then there are three bags we put out and something which involves multi-step reasoning, it did not. So I'm more excited about language models capability where it can solve the problem of reasoning. The second problem that I want, I think, I think where I'm very excited upon is 
is how the scaling of those models happen. Right now, training of these models are having a lot of impact on climate. Right, so that is another area where I think a lot of work is being happening on how can we train these big, bigger models with less parameters. And I think that would be a game-changing piece because all these big models, if you want to do inferencing in your laptop, we just can't do it. So that means the power of all these technologies is it will be in the hands of critical few. And I think that's a risk I see in this society. I, I want every individual. The democratization of AI should happen, and I think that is an area where a lot of progress is happening, where people, I think two years from now, everybody will be able to train a large language model on their own machine. And I think that will be very exciting time because it will open a lot of different applications, a lot of different avenues, and I'm just waiting for that moment. And I see a lot of action every week. So many papers are coming in the direction of computing of large language models. I would say scaling laws. I, 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 I'm actually excited about that, that space. Sarb, I, I can't imagine a better closing message than that. We're the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, and you just closed with an, a, a great statement about a near future in which everybody can train large language models instead of a select few, and that the increased capability that will bring to society. So thank you for that closing point. I'm so glad I asked that question. And more importantly, thank you for sharing your experience and expertise and insights with our Austin Forum audience. It's been a great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Jay, for having me part of it. And we look forward to you being a friend of the Austin Forum and coming back, looking forward to the uh, event coming up in a, in a week yes. or so on her. And we will talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.